When we talk about teachers resisting change, we often conjure up images of the curmudgeon, the 30-year-old veteran teacher who hasn't changed and refuses to get with the program. However, oftentimes there are good reasons to resist change. Just as importantly, our veteran teachers can be great allies in building and improving school culture. Today, we learn from Nat Ellis, my favorite curmudgeon, and a teacher whose passion and wisdom should inspire you. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve the life and leadership of assistant principals. This podcast complements APEX, the Assistant Principal Acceleration Program, but you certainly don't need to be an APEX member to find value in the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nat Ellis, the marketing teacher, among other titles, at Klamath Union High School in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Nat is here with us today to help us learn how to tap into the most powerful and most frequently overlooked sources of passion and wisdom in our schools, the veteran teacher. Full disclosure, Nat and I go way back. We played football together at Humboldt State University in the early 80s. We were roommates for a year. Nat was one of my groomsmen. And though we now live thousands of miles from each other, we've kept in touch and I consider him one of my best friends. Welcome to the show, Nat. It's so good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. Okay, can you tell us briefly how you got to where you are today? It's a long time ago. So especially for newer teachers, they don't understand how hard it is to find jobs because we have to go look on a board and then hope somebody didn't steal the job. And so you used to go look, you know, every week they'd post new jobs and you'd look for jobs. And um, one of my football coaches said, hey, job in Klamath Falls. And so you had to go get your maps out and look for where Klamath Falls is. And so I came up here, applied, got a job uh, in August. So it's kind of, you know, a little late in the season. First teaching job is always harder to get. Uh, it's not like today on the internet where you can go search and learn everything before you get there. Interviewed and got a job coaching football, wrestling, and teaching different business classes. Yeah. And, and so you've been at one school your entire career? Been here. This is my 33rd year. Okay. Yeah. And all the, the younger folks out there may not realize how difficult it was to get teaching jobs in the late 80s, early 90s. It was hard. <laughs> well, just learning about openings. Yeah. You know, and internet. you had to have connections versus internet. You know, my, one of my college coaches was at a football clinic and he talked to somebody who knew somebody who said, hey, there's an opening over there. Hmm. Call them. Yeah. You know, it's so much different now where you can just go search and see what's there and find jobs easily. Yeah. Well, so we always like to start with a celebration. What are you celebrating today? Celebrating. So one of the things that kind of keeps you going is your, <laughs> that's funny, is your connection with kids. Uh, and I've been a DEC advisor for 29 years and DEC is a really cool high school market organization. Uh, I came, I came to teaching for coaching and DEC takes coaching to another level because now it's life skills. So we are headed to Atlanta, Georgia with 14 kids to compete in the national DECA competition, but you need, it's about a $26,000 trip. So we did a huge fundraiser. And so today we did step one of five of our fundraiser which will pay for half over half this trip. Uh, so that was a big celebration today. We made 280, 
pints of cookie dough in about three <laughs> hours. So uh, it was a pretty crazy day, and we got next week's gonna be crazier, but just to see kids working together and still have that energy and the the bond they create, because most people believe you can't build a bond outside of sports. Uh, and I will say, you know, for the last 20 years watching these programs build bonds with kids, you know, super strong. I think almost stronger than sports. Hmm. Uh, just because it's a different program. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Uh, today's show is about leveraging the wisdom and passion of veteran teachers. As always, this podcast is built around the principles of strategic leadership, prioritizing purpose over urgency, addressing problems, not symptoms, driving incremental progress rather than big change, and focusing on people instead of tasks. And the remarkable thing about veteran teachers is that they can help us be better at every one of these areas. The idea for this show arose from our conversations over the past couple of years, especially regarding our shared frustrations about how leaders can miss opportunities to work with teachers and the near universal obsession that many leaders have with change. Now, back when I was teaching in principal licensure programs, an inspiring administrator in a class would invariably raise the issue of a veteran teacher and all the 30 year olds in the room would roll their eyes in unison. The consensus was that too many teachers were burned out, they didn't care, they didn't understand kids, they wouldn't get on board with change, et cetera, et cetera. So I affectionately refer to this two-dimensional caricature as the curmudgeon. So Nat, 33 years into your teaching career, are you a curmudgeon? Uh, I hope not, but I, you can, I mean, the one thing is you can see all of these pieces and when somebody says something, you're like, oh, okay, I've seen that before. Um, I'll never forget like 25 years ago, Oregon was instituting this whole, I mean, it was a wholesale change. And this one teacher stood up and said, this too shall pass. Um, and it did three, four years later, it was gone. Uh, so no, I, to me, I still enjoy teaching. I, I, I mean, that's what I always told myself, if I, if I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here. So I don't, I will leave. Uh, and I think that's the key. If you're hanging on for the paycheck, you need to, go somewhere else. And before we go any further, I want to share a headline I found when I did a Google search on you. Quote, teacher sells 25-year-old toy collection to help buy special wheelchair for disabled boy, unquote. What's that all about? Uh, that's kind of a, a little bit longer story. It's a funny story. So about 20 years ago, I don't know, everything's relevant now but so a kid brought a half a meal toy left it on my desk and I put it on a shelf and then pretty soon I had a couple more and then 10 years later I had tons and then it grew and then we just we remodeled our school and I was losing my classroom we had to box everything up and I was like I don't know what to do with this the same time there was a local kid um had a rare illness but he wanted his family was trying to raise money he needed All right. So he Ooh, needed, yeah. <laughs> this shows the real. That's right. Um, so he needed $15,000 to buy his wheelchair and somebody had raised a couple thousand. Uh, and so I was teaching a social media class at the time. And it's like, all right, we, we, we're going to do a social media project and we're going to sell this. And, and so my kids got into it. We took a bunch of pictures and we counted them all and we figured all the different sets. And then, and so we just, started doing different social media tactics and then one kid started shotgunning uh news networks 
and it really accelerated. So we hit one, we, and we, it just took one. So once we got that one hit on, a, I think it's ABC or CBS, it went to, so it went from a small market to a Portland, Oregon market to the national NBC. We hit national NBC. Uh, we hit Ellen, Ellen's show called us. We didn't get on the show, but we were on her website. We had some national radio. Uh, it was crazy. And so from that, and a lot of it, so the actual, we had an auction for the toys, which ended up only raising, I don't know, under a thousand dollars, but they had a, a funding page that we raised, I think about $8,000. Wow. And that came from a whole bunch of sources. It wasn't just local. Uh, a lot of former students helped. There's some, I mean, it was, it was a significant uh, donation. I mean, we raised way more awareness and the kids still, he has a new wheelchair now because he's bigger now because that's been seven or eight years. Um, and the it, kids, it was a cool story. The kids did most of the work. Yeah, they did it all. The only thing, uh, shipping them was fun because when it finally sold, I had to, I mean, I had almost $300 in shipping costs. <laughs> um, so it, it was, I think it was more unique, but we had to get rid of them. I had, didn't have an exit plan for those. Uh, and it ended up working. Um, it was cool. I mean, kids were excited to watch the, you know, because it, it was a social media that actually worked. Uh, you know, and the one kid got a response from, you know, a media outlet. And you're like, whoa, they want to know more. And we're like, okay, let's see where we can go. And it just started with press release and a lot of just, you know, blind emails and messages and posts. And, and it just, it was kind of fun to, you know, to watch it organically grow and uh, nothing, you know, we didn't pay for any promotion. Um, it was just pure, just a simple project we did in a class. Yeah. What a hand, great hands-on experience. Hey, let's start with change. What are some of the first change initiatives you encountered as a young teacher? Um, I, you know, it's funny cause I always tried to change things and nobody wants to education so slow. Um, and if you come from industry, and you want to go into education, most people, I work with a guy, he's just like, let's go, let's do it. And it's like, mm, it's education. You got, it takes time. Uh, so the biggest, the first big change that I encountered was to, one was technology. So the first really sit down with computers, I had the first computer lab in our district uh, and that was a big deal. And we used to have a district-wide technology committee and just to seeing the slow influx of computers, that was a big piece. And then Oregon instituted this, Really, I liked it because it fit the CTE programs. It was a whole change in philosophy around career career paths. Mm -hmm. And I liked where it was headed. And then after four or five years, they couldn't make it work with academics. Uh, so it kind of went away. But it really, it, we, we, as it grew, we built our program around it. And I really, I thought it was a good program. Um, it, it was hard on the core teachers, your math, English, science, because it, they didn't have a lot of direction. Mm. And, and so that's, and, and that they get, they get the most attention. So, but that was this first piece. I mean, it was a significant change. I mean, you can go look up Oregon career pathways and Sim and cam. And it was, it was a really an interesting initiative that lasted four to six years. The only thing left of it still is senior project and testing. Okay. And so what are some change, change initiatives that happen locally at your building level? All right. So, you know, COVID forced a schedule change. 
Well, hold on. Can we go? Can we go back to again thirty years ago? You were a young teacher. What first ones you remember? First ones I remember. Um, You know, technology is is the biggest because I've always had access to better technology than other teachers. So that was the one biggest one. The other one we went into, I would say, that kind of came out somewhere twenty years ago was, was professional communities, or the the one guy's name that has all the, yeah. yeah. So we went to those. And so a lot of those were kind of forced because in a smaller school, we don't have like, I don't, there's not three business teachers. So it works good. in if you have three to five teachers in your department, you can sit and talk and that was good. And so we were, you know, and I would say that's probably the biggest change because we as a school have shrunk and, and we're watching that. So we've had years. So my first 10 years, we, lo- we lost three or 400 kids. The next 10 years, we lost another 300. And then now we're down. So from 2008, now we're pretty flat. So we've lost almost half our population. Uh, so that caused a lot of problems in itself. And so the first one of those where you had to start reduction, like we, I went from three business teachers to one. Wow. Um, that was, that was a serious change. And how do you handle that? And, and, and all the other departments are the same thing. I mean, now we're, barely 500 kids, we used to be 1,200. Hmm. And, and how many principals have you been through? I think it's five. It's about four-year average. Okay. All right. Uh, that, and that sounds about right. Might so what are, what are some things that you've had administrators come and do? And, and let's, again, kind of stick with change, changes that, that principals or assistant principals came in and wanted to make how have you seen that work well and how have you seen that not done well? All right. Um, I guess you remember the one's not done well. <laughs> I think the one issue, let's start on that side and we'll look at some of the other ones. Um, so one was, some of it was forced by state law and mandates, you know, so you're trying to adjust to whatever, you know, the next thing that you need to come up with. Um, and so when you start to see those things of how do you, um, you know, how do you adjust to these new plans and, and the community learning, you know, that, that whole thing was driven. And then the other piece that came with it was this really emphasis. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just when you're shrinking in size and you're teaching, because as you shrink as a school, all right. So now instead of teaching three classes, I'm teaching five or six different topics. Mm. So we went to this whole thing with, um, weekly goals and you had to have learning objectives for every topic, every class supposed to be posted every week somewhere. And you had to be documented and turned in. I mean, it was just a paperwork burden. I don't think it was bad. I just didn't have time to do them. That was a severe struggle. And and it's just like when you're part of it, as you get going, you teach a similar class over and over. You know, I always know where I need to be. Do I like the time? I mean, I love the digital pieces now of, you know, you can build content so much better and it's all there and kids see it, you know, before you, hey, this is what we're doing this week. Or you write on a board or something like that. But it's, that was the, that was a challenge. Uh, and I struggled with it or, or, or if you put an initiative in that doesn't get used that, hey, we have all these things and they sit in a folder and somebody never looks at them. Um, <laughs> that never happens. That never happened. 
Yeah, that happened. So when we had this first, this is a crazy story. So we changed, we built the first, you had to have what's called a, a full program. And we built the first marketing program in Oregon to follow all the guidelines and hit all these pieces. And it was about an hour and a half presentation to these department people and doing all this work. We had three binders. I mean, we logged hours building. We had to document stuff and like, I don't know, 20 different criteria. And we had these three giant binders full of stuff. And we got down the presentation and this was the first pre first program to do it across the entire state and all kind there's like 30 people at this meeting because they wanted to see what it was like and at the end of it we were like okay here's your binders and they're like no you get to keep those we're like wait a minute you need to read these you know and that was the you know the challenge like that's a lot of work um but i think what it did i mean that's kind of on the positive side as you see that change it and this was forced by the department of ed of you know hey and now it's even tied to money as you go forward because that was over like 25 years ago uh, and they built these programs they're called a program of study in the cte world um, now they're all tied to money and it's it's gotten way more complicated uh, for for dollars but it was what it does is it formalized your program it forced you to put things into place you know because you might do things but all of a sudden it's like how do you do it and this is the process of doing it um, one of the TV shows I love to watch, he always talks about people, process, and product. And on the industry side, it, usually one of those is broken in a failing business. Hmm. Um, and, and you got to figure out which one and, and solve that problem. Uh, and that's the piece. And, and people, most people struggle with process uh, just because they're not logical thinkers. <laughs> uh, and that's what it is. It's just purely how do you, you know, walk it through. Um, it's really interesting to uh, see some of those things, but that was, that was a big change. And then as we built that, I mean, we had, you know, we had a whole system of tracking kids and getting kids credit for things and proving, you know, it's like a, like a, it was a small tier college, you know, uh, diploma type thing, but on a much, you know, we had to document hours that they did different activities that they did. And we had a whole, we had a really complicated system that yeah. is pretty much gone well, now, but. So, I mean, this is a good, this, this discussion, we've talked about two different things. One is putting an entire program together, which has a lot of value in it. The other was, um, you know, making sure that you've got your, your standards and, and your objectives for every lesson and all that stuff. I, I mean, those are good things, um, but we have a lot to do and we have a lot of challenges and very small slivers of time. So one of the, the things I wanted you to talk about as a business teacher is the idea of, from an economic standpoint, opportunity cost, because there are lots of things we need to change. There are lots of ways we can improve and get better. But I think what we don't realize sometimes is that every decision, every time we decide to do something, that means there's something else that we can't do. And so uh, yeah, can you think definitely. of times where you wound up having to invest in a change at the expense of something that you think would have had a bigger impact? I, I think that's almost every single day. Um, you know, this, this year, I mean, last year was weird because of we completely revamped our schedule and it was completely different from ever. But normally, and I, and I deal with the same problem with kids because I get kids that they want to do everything. They want to be an athlete. They want to be in a music program. They want to do out of school things. They want to be a DECA. And then it's like, we always tell kids, like, you can do that. Something's going to give. And you see this a lot with elective teachers. 
every elective teacher in our building is a standalone teacher. We have no program that has multiple teachers in an elective. So if you want to add another class, I mean, as many years, I've taught six different classes in a row, sometimes different rooms. So what you're doing is something's going to give, whether it's, and you got to make that decision and you got to be able to live with that. And that those are things that I've, you know, for me, I, I run a student store. It is not the level where it should be. It, it's, it's better this year, but it's still, I mean, and you know that, okay, it's like, okay, I know that I'm one class, my marketing class is my core class. Uh, it's, it's by far the most fun to teach. And, and that never settled. I never settled that. I mean, that's where you're, and you have the best content for that because it's, and we are 40% current events in that. Um, so you got to keep those perspectives going at all the time. And then as you get other pieces thrown out you, you got to sit there and decide, all right, how much do they want this? And, you know, it's like, okay, admin wants you to do something. It's like, okay, do we give them what they want to hear? And, you know, turn something in so that is it's, you know, and, and somewhere it's like, it's like a student with homework. All right. Some homework pieces are worth more. Some are just, Hey, I got to get it done and submit it. And I think that's true for most jobs. It's like, Oh, this, I need this, turn this in so that they can, you know, like we do these random uh, professional development, you know, all this training that's required. I'm sure it's required by law every year. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I had a, um, uh, department chair when I was in higher ed and she was really good about pointing out to us when we, when we had to do some kind of report or, or something, she knew which ones were going to be looked at or not. <laughs> and, and she was really transparent about it. And she'd say, yeah, don't worry about this one so much. Just kind of take what you had last year and, and tweak it because probably nobody's going to look at that. This one, this is important. Um, and there is, there's so much to do. I, I think, one of the challenges that administrators run into is a lot of times they're perfectionists and the idea of doing something kind of halfway just kills them. And so they wind up spending time on things that really don't contribute to the good of the school. And usually the, what, what gives is going in and working with teachers and supporting teachers. Um, right. That but I always, you know, I even teach this too, is I call it functional. It's like, okay, you know, there's things that I want to do really well. And there's other things like, hey, it's functional, run with it. Okay. That's enough to get it going. That's enough for, to make this assignment work. Can I, and, you know, that's what we saw last year. It was really cool because, I mean, I was teaching two classes and sometimes I taught the same class twice. Well, and we're doing six week terms. So after that first six weeks, I was reevaluating that entire class, every assignment, and I had time to do it. I mean, that's what COVID opened eyes up to a lot of teachers. It's like when you have prep time and like I embraced it. I mean, I, I built by far the best curriculum I've ever had. And if you did it all, the kids that did it, it was the best learning I've ever put out there because I had these incredible assignments. I was, I was putting in, you know, multiple three to five minute videos that were saying to everything. And it, I mean, I'll just, it was really good stuff because I had the time to build it. Um, and, and never, I mean, now we're back to this crazy schedule again. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, COVID opened eyes, opened eyes for me. That it's just like, and you could build these things and it, it had the time and we didn't have the distractions either. Cause you had fewer kids in the buildings. You had, there was no extras going on. So you had all this extra time and you could see what it's like to be just a teacher. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, you miss some of those other pieces, which I think help build programs. Um, but just on the teaching side, it is there. You know, one piece going back, because you talk about department chairs, one of the things that we lost, uh, and I, I still remember this happening, is so we had department chairs, and I was a department chair, I don't know, 10 years or so. And as we lost school, we kind of, they kind of, kind of got less into it. Uh, and then finally, we, we, were, we were disbanded for a budget reason, but I don't know why. But um, it, we had weekly department chair meetings. And it was really, you know, this one principal started it and we met every week and not super formal, but it was, I will tell you what, it kept the communication going. I mean, now you do mass emails and things like that as before email, but it was, it was a good sounding board. Yeah. And, and again, it, things have changed. I mean, back then it was, Hey, to graduate, you need your credits. That's it. Now you need your credits plus, and you need all these other hoops and all this other, I mean, there was, I mean, education kind of hurt himself with all the extras that we keep doing with stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't, the, I don't think that's going <laughs> to peel no, back, not the, but but you're talking yeah. about having, a, really, it sounds like a teacher leadership team. And did the principal, right. and it, did the principal listen to you and seek advice from you all? I think so. His favorite, my favorite line I kept from him is credit and blame are really close together, you know? So always, you know, just, he, he was, you know, he was a good, he understood people. He understood staff. Um, he was an amazing principal, knew every kid in the building. Knew how, to, knew how to have rapport, but also knew when, you know, how to deal with kids. He just had, you know, what it took to be a great principal. Uh, he worked his way up. He was assistant principal. He taught special ed. He did a lot of different things. And so he, he understood the building. So um, look, let's go back to that assistant principal piece. So okay. a, a um, net, you come in next school year and a 33-year-old first-year assistant principal comes into the building. How can they earn your trust? Um, I think it's really simple in a leadership role. You need to defend your teacher first. And then you go back to individual teachers and you say, hey, we need to. And then you sit down with them. Um, and I think if you don't do that, if especially if you have a, like a parent or a situation that involves multiple people, you defend the teacher and you say, I'll look into it and defuse it. Then you go back individually and you start building it up. I think the, net, the number one thing that I would say for an administrator, a presence in the classroom on a regular basis. That one principal, he was he walked through my room once a week. Never spent more than a couple minutes there, but he always had a presence and the kids always knew him. Um, and, and he just, and he, and every once in a while he'd pop into the conversation, but usually he would just come in, sit down for a couple minutes and go. Yeah. Nothing formal. You know, I think a lot of, especially young administrators are kind of, um, I, I don't know if afraid is the right word, maybe afraid to sit in, in um, checking on classes and be in the classroom, especially with the veteran teachers. And they feel that teachers are resistant, but I think it's, it, you know, it's a negative snowball because they don't get in there very often. It, it's something that rarely happens. So then they all they're in there and the teacher's like, what? What, oh, why are you in here today? As opposed yeah. to just being the norm. No, I think you wanted to have, that to me is the number one thing. Um, 
is if you have a presence, one, it's not just the teaching, it's the kids appreciate it. They see it and they see what you're doing. And then you and then you also start to, I think you'll get an understanding of what's happening in your building. Yeah. Um, but so, I think what happened is they're like teachers. They've been stretched thin and, and, you know, I got all these demands to do and I don't got another hour today to go wander around the building. Yeah. Although that I, that's the most important thing. So uh, you've already touched on this, I think. Uh, but let's say you refer a discipline issue to me. I'm that new AP. You refer a discipline issue. We don't agree on how to handle it. In the end, I, I'm, I need to be true to my values. But how do I make it, if, if I don't handle it exactly the way you want it, how do I make it a better situation for both of us? Um, so that at least you know that I'm working at it, um, that I value respect and that I'm trying to support you. Uh, that's, that's a hard one. Discipline's even harder because I think I've written about three referrals in 30 years. Um, <laughs> I don't, I hate referrals. This is paperwork and to me, and that's the thing on being an elective teacher versus a required teacher. If you don't want to, if you don't want to learn my class, hey, I'm not here to beat you down. Um, that's your choice. I, I think part of, I mean, I definitely had those conversations with people, especially when we were trying to grow our program. Because um, I, you know, the second principal I worked for, he's like, I'm not doing that. You're not. And then until he left, and we knew it, until he left, and the next principal came in and said, I'll do that. And all of a sudden, we were remodeling our room we we're changing things around we built another computer lab and, and he found money for it uh, and so i think it depends you know it's how do you build that trust is one one the teacher has to prove that they're going to follow through and they're going to make what they say happen mm. so and then the next thing is is you've got to allow that teacher one you got to allow them to fail but you also got it's like hey i'll bring you along you know, rule number one, don't make me look bad. But rule number two is, hey, make what's, what's best for kids. Um, when we had three teachers that when we were sitting, we did, we did a lot of meetings and we were really very cohesive staff for about three years um, before we were all split up. That was our, what's best for kids. Everything we did, we sit back and it's like, okay, when we're done, is, is this what's best for kids? And that was our bottom line not what's best for us is this better for us to do this or is this better for the kids and and so you know you give up your preps you give up all kinds of things and kids don't understand that but it it's better in the end so so even if we disagree i'm the administrator we disagree in the end i need to make the call but if i'm doing that based on what i really think is best for kids and you understand that i'm acting sincerely then we're probably okay yeah i mean it is i think eventually you just kind of have to I think as a teacher, you understand, you know, what that principal is going to do and not do. And eventually you're like, and part of, I think I see that with age. I, I've worked with two young teachers the last five years and, and it's like, no, you can't do that. Oh yeah, we're going to do it. And I was like, no. And they, and then they keep going and they come back, you know, you're later, oh, we shouldn't have done that. And I was like, oh really? <laughs> um, so some of that's funny to watch um because we're in the same boat as we're trying to build a cte program with three teachers you know our, our challenge right now as a school district is we're trying to be a high school of 500 kids that thinks it's a high school of 900 kids and so when you shrink size something's got to give well you're not going to lose math and science 
and English programs. So your electives have got to give, and we have we have them stripped back as tight as it goes. And I, I mean, eventually you're gonna have to cut one. You can't. You just you can't do with this. Yeah. Just there's not enough kids for all these classes. Yeah. Those are tough are, decisions. I think it's some educators and administrators are fortunate enough to be in situations through their whole career where they've not ever had to kind of peel back like that and cut stuff. Um, but I think a lot of us have been through that and it's just, it's a painful process. It is. I do that every year when I teach product mix, I'll go through what our school was at one time. And we had three different languages. We had woods, metals, electronics. I mean, we had a really cool elective. We had 1200 kids and the, and these kids are like, wow, that would be a cool class. I mean, we had three art teachers. We had, you know, auto mechanics, wood shop, drafting, you know, all kinds of stuff that, you know, slowly, you know, we lose one, you lose another, or, you know, teacher retires, it goes away. And that's, and that's. So, so let's, okay. So let's pivot this um, a little bit then, because I know there are a lot of assistant principals working or listening who work in rural schools that maybe have had these kinds of things, um, you know, mill town slows down or whatever it is. What in, in all that time, what has your school held on to you think, do you think that's really, really done well? If you're speaking to assistant principals out there and, and they're going through some of this downsizing, what's your advice on what to hang on to? I think you have to see what has the biggest impact for kids. To me, it's what, what impacts kids down the road. Um, we are the only school that has, at, uh, at our size in our state, that has banned orchestra and choir. No other 500 student high school has an orchestra. Um, and, and they're limited. I mean, there's one class of each. But I mean, here's the thing. Everybody fights for the same classes. Uh, you have to decide, do you want a yearbook? Well, that, that takes another piece, you know, and you have, to me, you have to look at where, how can I have the most impact for what I have? And I don't, and some of those, oh, but also it's teacher to teacher electives are all teacher based. They're not necessarily program based. And so you could have a really good culinary teacher. And then that culinary teacher leaves and you get one that's not as excited to be there and doesn't do all the stuff and, you know, has all the cool projects and, and has the fun stuff or, you know, if you pulled the DECA program out of our business program, kids want to travel. That's right. I mean, I can put you into places and, and kids see these different things and they see the business side. And it's like, that's why they want to be in the class. They want to travel. And, and so if you lose some of those pieces, then it, it takes some of that fun away. But it's the same with sports. You know, you can't, you can't offer all those sports when you're a smaller school. Uh, so the, my first advice would be like, okay, how can I have the best impact for kids down the road? So do you pick a program, you know, and that's why like, you're looking at what are called, you know, the career student or CTSOs, uh, career student uh, organizations. How can one organization impact more kids? Mm. Uh, Skills USA is probably the broadest one. So you can pull in culinary programs, you can pull in metals and woods, you can some small business stuff. Um, I, I, I'm a big, I've been in CTSOs from 4-H as a third grader to now. So you, you know, you're talking 40 something years. And I, I'm, I'm, I think they're amazing. Um, 
they, they teach so many different pieces, but they also require a lot of money, a lot of time. And a lot of people don't want to do that, especially newer teachers. Um, so, I mean, so you look at impact first, you know, how can I impact kids? And especially if you're looking at electives, life skills. You know, do you get the, you know, what one administrator told me, you know, oh, you're like, the, you guys are always looking for that shiny object, um, whatever the hot topic is. And I just saw in my uh, Facebook business teacher group that they're shutting down the business program and then they told the teacher he's got to teach computer, uh, computer science. And it's like, you just want to go slap some administrators like, hey, computer science is a good degree, but it's also the same as calculus. How many students in our building can complete this? versus can I give you some skills? It's the same as video and photo, okay? It's the sexy one because I can make cool videos and I can all this stuff. It's crazy, crazy expensive. Um, you wanna put a video program together? You better have $50,000 to start with. Then you gotta go find a teacher that can do it. Um, and, and so you gotta start looking at those things because you know administrators want you know, what they think it's like a computer class. Well, I've been teaching computer classes my entire career, you know, and it's completely changed. I mean, kids come in with, you know, some skills before they never seen a computer. When I first started, you know, they didn't, they, nobody had a computer at home. Now they have one on their phone. Um, so you have to adapt to how you teach that and show them how you can use some of these things better than what they actually are doing. Yeah. Um, it, it is hard. Uh, I mean, those are tough decisions. Well, and and I think that the takeaway for people listening is you can't make those decisions in isolation. I mean, you have to be working, you have to be talking right. to teachers and working with teachers. And and that can be hard, especially if they're, because they're going to be winners and losers when, when things are cut. But if we just go in a back room as an administrative team and make decisions, we're missing a lot of information. And, and so those kinds of processes and anything we do in a school is really important to be talking with teachers and working with teachers. And, well, and yeah, or, you know, one of the, my, I, I had one of my best friends, math teacher, and every year administration would come in and say, all right, here's your new math program. And they give you a bunch of days training, you know, they'd bring in some consultant and never once did they go to the math department and say, Hey, we're going to give you three days, go take a look at things and see if you can come up with an idea. That was never an option. It was always, here's this expert who did all this stuff and got all these test scores up. Um, In a school that yeah. is nothing like yours. Right. It's just somebody <laughs> that, you know, selling the next book of the month club. And, and that's, so I would do that. If I had to cut programs, I would grab all those people and say, hey, what can we do and how do we do this? Because there's some things, you know, we had one year where we took an English teacher, a health teacher and a business teacher, and we created a freshman experience. Um, I, I thought I didn't teach in that, but I watched it and I thought it was unique and some of the, you know, they got to build it. Um, you know, if you, if you could do some creative things, you know, if you sat and said, Hey, here's this, I mean, you just put on the table. All right. This is how much money we got. This is how many teachers we got. Solve it. Um, you know, one of our old roommates, and I don't know how many administrators get this, but he, he gets the bu building budget for staff in his building. So the staff gets to decide how many teachers they have. Wow. That's a pretty powerful tool. And I've, I, I mean, I've never been in a district that does that, but that, I mean, that's, I think it's kind of cool. Can the staff's like, Hey, 
we want to hire a new person and this is how what we're willing to give up. Nat, I heard a, um, I talked to an administrator who did that as well. Uh, I was actually working with a, an intern in his school and, and they, they'd gone through some budget cuts and they had a deficit and, and he, he took the entire budget and took it to the teachers and said, here, here's where we are. And the, the amount of money we're losing, that's, you know, ex teacher positions. And in the end, the, the teachers looked and they found other things to cut on. And, and it's stuff like even, okay, we're going to drop our electricity bill. So these are the, uh, these are the energy conservation things we're going to put in the school. And the teachers were, they drove that and were able to achieve that because they knew, you know, this is the teacher next to me. We're saving their job by turning off the lights and they made decisions about copy machines. And, but it, it was a, it was done together. And, and there are some yeah. principles that are really good about that. Um, and there are other people that, you know, when they get, that's one of my problems when I get under a lot of stress, I kind of just put my head down and go into a shell. And that's not, that's not good for making tough decisions. I think, you know, especially if you have layers, um, you know, when we had, we had a really strong core of, um, department heads, you know, we were, we had 60 teachers, you know, now we have 30. So it was a strong core, you know, we met weekly and we had discussions and we did, you know, simple budget stuff where you look at these things and, you know, things could come up, but, it, and, and we were all, you know, relatively friends too. I mean, you're, you're in your smaller school, but I, I, you keep that communication as in, this is what's going on. This is what we're doing. Uh, I mean, I've had, I had a principal that, sat in their office and sent emails. Never saw them. Wow. Um, so you, you'll see all those things. I mean, it's the same with some assistant principals. I think you can get stuck into that. Um, you know, and it's how, I mean, you know, when I look at, you know, the principals that have a presence in the hallways, I, I think have a better understanding of their building. Um, the walk the classroom, know the kids, or even if you're on, you know, depending on how big your school is, if you're just even within coming out of your door twice a day between breaks or lunch or something, and just to, to walk around and talk to a few kids or, you know, a presence at after school activities or things like that. It, it's crazy how a 10 minute appearance makes a difference. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting when I was a County special ed coordinator, I really struggled as I struggled at that job. That's the hardest job I ever had. And, and the first two years I would go in the County office and I'd spend most of my time in the office. And every now and then I'd, you know, go out and say, okay, I, I haven't been in schools in a little while. I need to go, go to schools. And about the third year, I totally flipped what I did. And I just drove straight into school every day. I never got back to the County office till one, two o'clock in the afternoon. And I had a bigger impact that year just being out in schools. And because I was there every day or every couple of days and I was in classrooms, I was able to take care of stuff before it, before it fell apart. And then when we did have issues, I was much better prepared and could help do it better because I knew what was going on. I knew, you know, beforehand where there was going to be a problem. Yeah. Well, you can, and you can solve, you can solve small problems 
instantaneously without an email, without all this other stuff. It's like, Hey, can we do this? Oh yeah. Here, you know, yeah. or I, I have that, you know, it's like, well, I have some money. I'll buy this for your program. Or you see things that, you know, people are struggling with and you're like, Hey, would you, you know, we have some money for this yeah. would that help yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and, and then you need to have a hard conversation with somebody and you can have it because you're in their room every day right. and there's a level of trust and a relationship there. No. And that's how you, to me, I'd say build respect is, you know, how can I respect somebody that I've, I've never known? You know, it's that same piece is the more you start working with them, the more you start seeing these things. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, you know, and, and you can get to tougher decisions. Yeah. So, you know, somebody asked me the other day what I do. And, and I said, oh, I'm a leadership consultant, which just, that's not what I do. And, and the more I thought about it is I try to make really complex things seem simple. And, and I think you've just done that in this conversation, right? Because being an administrator is hugely complex, uh, affecting school culture and serving your teachers, super complex. But if you really just need to focus on one thing, just be present, be present yeah. in the halls, be present in classrooms and, and, and listen and appreciate what people are doing. And that, that just makes everything else easier. But that's true in life, though. I mean, it's, you know, so many people just want to see a familiar face. Um, you know, I've been, you know, it's, it's weddings to funerals. You know, this one friend is just so ecstatic that I went to his wife's funeral. And, you know, I only talked to him for a couple minutes there. But it's just the fact that you spent time out of your day to show up for a half hour. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of stuff, it's the same as kids that they want teachers to go watch them play volleyball or whatever sport it is, or, you know, they want to see you there for a few minutes. And then, you know, the other day, you know, I, cool thing with track, they have athletic.net. So I can look up results after a track meet. I got a bunch of track kids. I'll come in and I'll, Hey, I see you had a PR this week, you know? And they're like, how'd you know that? I was like, Oh, it's public information. You know, <laughs> they, they're just, you know, and all of a sudden they're the, in, or, you know, one kid, I have these two kids in class that are javelin throwers and, one kid's always been like the varsity leader and the other kid beat him. And so you can start, you know, you can create this relationship with them. And it, it, that's where you start to build this rapport. And so it is, how do you be present to me? And this is what the technology has done to the kids is it's pulled them out of the presence because now they're in the presence of a technology piece, um, which is a whole other topic, but it's really, they're not present in a classroom. Um, and I think teachers can get sucked into the same thing. It's just that the technology piece is really interesting. And, and that's and if you ever want to, yeah, that's where I a good book. Really, sorry. <laughs> but it's called um, Stolen Focus. Mm -hmm. I'm almost done with it. I watched him, I heard him talk, but it's all on how, as a society, we've lost our focus uh, and how distractions, not all technology is distractions, but how distractions derail us on a constant basis. It's a really interesting topic. And I think it's, it's important in schools. And, and you look at most administrators, and I would say most people were asking, you know, administrators to ask teachers, but I'm sure their superintendents asking the teacher to do the same thing in the school, the state's asking the school to do more with less. Yes. I mean, that it just trickles down. The teachers think, oh, well, it's just us, but I guarantee you that, you know, that administrator has, oh, I got all this reports to do, all this stuff to do. And how do I do more with less? And you can't, No, but you, you got to stay focused and, we, and you can't be all jumbled up. Yeah. 
Well, so I, and I, and I, I talk about the three epiphanies, right? And the first epiphany is I can't do everything. And the second epiphany is if there's too much do, that means that I actually have the power to choose what gets done and what doesn't. And the third epiphany is that my choices reflect my values. And, and I think the challenge for us is that when we're stuck in that urgent zone, just running around trying to get everything done, we're not intentional about the choices. We're not going to get it all done. So stop and be intentional about where you invest that time, what really gets done and what doesn't get done. Um, and and yeah. check right. and make sure it's reflecting your values. Hey, yeah. we need to wrap this thing up. Okay. Um, here's with 30 years in the system. Are you done growing as a teacher? Or are there still things that you want to get better at? Well, I think you can always get better. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting as you look you know, is this year the last year? And would you, you know, I remember a guy who's an amazing science teacher. And one of my friends said, you know, I'm so glad you still, you're still giving it at all in your last year. Uh, you're not just doing nothing. And I think that's the key. So, I mean, how do you get better and what do you get better? I mean, to me, it's, I want to build better assignments, better things, more relevance, um, I want the, here's the piece that I think education misses the most is we never ask kids to think. I mean, we are very good at do this worksheet, watch this thing, write this paper, you know, and none of these pieces are purely thought. It's more regurgitation, more here's a test, read this thing, outline this chapter, whatever it is, you know, and, and that's my piece that I try to teach so much and it, kids struggle. You know, and, and how can I get, I, mean, I really want this relevance. I want them to understand it's like when you watch a TV show or you see a YouTube, I want you to know why that commercial just played. And was that after you or is it after somebody else? And I want you to think about that commercial you saw, not just not a commercial, but why was that there and who, the, who are they going after and do to be more of an analytical thinker. Um, and that's the piece that I, I mean, it, it's super hard to get to. Yeah. Uh, and today's kids are so unfocused. It's even harder to deal with, but it's, I mean, that's that one piece that I really want or just to do, you know, can I get a student to do something over the bare minimum? Hmm. You know, I'm teaching presentations right now with Google slides. You can make a slide really quickly, but if you want to make a good slide, it takes a long time. Right. There's some pretty simple tools that they've, I mean, it's, it's actually, the product's gotten a lot better, but I started showing them these tools. So now instead of building presentations, we're building slides. So the assignment is build me a slide that does this. So you're going to spend 45 minutes building one slide instead of 45 minutes copying and pasting a bunch of stuff up there and then go read the presentation to me. Um, that's the piece I'm trying to get them through at their head because it's like, Google Slides is a great tool for taking notes and building things you could turn in and it's it, it never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. It's so cool. for all the assistant principals out there, what is one thing that you'd like them to take away from today's show? Have a presence in your, with your, don't be in a principal that the only time the teacher sees you is when you want something. Mm. So I know if you're in my room, okay, what do you want? <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's nice to see you today. How you doing? And, and develop simple relationships. Walk through. 
how did that program go? If you know that they did a trip, come back and ask them about the trip. If they know that they had a kid or they did a project, and so know all those pieces and be aware what's happening in your building so that you can spend a, a simple, hey, how did that cooking thing go with those kids last week? Oh, that was really cool. Thanks for asking. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Cause then you build, you know, my first 10 or 15 years teaching, we were the most cohesive staff. I mean, literally I talked to a guy, he left like three or four years into it. He said, I felt bad leaving. I mean, it was that close and it was mostly, it was, you don't see this in our building is it was almost all guys and we all coached. Hmm. So we coached together, we taught together, and it was, I mean, after every home football game, there was a gathering at somebody's house, and we did things, we did, we went to football games together, we would go to an Oregon Ducks game, we would do a summer thing, and it was a tight crease of staff, and that, that had some administrators in it, and then as slowly as they retired, it just fizzled away, and it's gone, and that's the piece I miss the most, is this, and I, we have it small, in our building now, in our little CTE world, there's three of us that are closer. Um, but when you have, and that to me, your administrator has to, to build that. And it's a tough build. I mean, it, it's, it's tough. It, you got to break down the, the, the I, I go in my room, shut the door and I teach, don't bug me. Right. Right. And you can't that, force it. Hey, it's been great. Thanks for taking yeah. time to share. No problem. <laughs> Okay. Oh, by the there bell. we go. <laughs> Period's over. All right. Well, if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. I'm always trying to improve the show. So if you have feedback for me, please email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. If you'd like more content tailored towards the needs of assistant principals, you can head over to my website at frederickbuskey.com. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the assistant principal podcast.